Welcome everyone. My name is Kaleem. Uh, this is the Mass Event Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate every single one of you tuning in. I'm seeing our listenership is growing. The masses are really growing. We're reaching out. Um, thank you so much, Das. I appreciate the time and effort spent on listening to this podcast. I appreciate the fact that you guys are spending your data um, to enjoy the, the content that I have prepared for you. All across the world, I'm seeing a growth of uh, masses out in the United States. I'm seeing some out in Europe and obviously back home. Um, much appreciated to my, my, my friends. Um, yeah, thank you to Sponelo Kumalo. Um, I appreciate your push, bro. Uh, when I posted the last episode, you you were actually the very first person that I saw um, tuning in. So that's much appreciated. Um, and also, there's, there's so many of you guys that I do not know that, um, that are starting to, to, to like this podcast. I'm seeing repetitive um, downloads. So yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate the love, man. Uh, some new listeners. Uh, thank you so much. And yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate every single person that's listening. We are on the road to 10,000 listeners. We're going to get there. The message will grow. With that being said, guys, this is about to be a great show. Stay tuned. Perception and privilege, eh? Isn't it so funny that we sometimes just don't, don't get it? I've made the statement before on previous episodes, and I, I want to reiterate it once more. Eh? I've spoken about how I never argue with white people in particular about service. Okay? Whether service delivery or service as, as a, in terms of customer service, as an expectation. And my reasons for that are very simple. I, I don't argue about the quality of it. Because how I've experienced it versus how they've experienced it is totally different. Obviously, these are people that have been served for a better part of their existence in, in, in Africa. Or at least in my country. When they see something as a poor service, I tend to listen. Like, I tend to hear the, the, the warning or, or the complaint as they're putting it across. Because their perspective is from a position of privilege. It's from a position which they've been allowed or granted the opportunity to see things for what they are supposed to be. Whereas ours is a bit more tolerating. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we grow to get used to living a certain type of way. 
we, we are more understanding, we are more patient, aren't we? <laughs> and there's nothing bad to it. I speak nothing ill against it. I'm, I'm, I'm just starting this off this way. This is not going to be a political discussion, but this is going to be a personal experience. So last week I had an episode, uh, episode 17 I believe it was. Yeah, hey, <laughs> it ruffled a few feathers. I know it didn't land as, as friendly to some listeners as it would. And I make it a policy, especially when it comes to the content on the show, I make it a policy that I, I, I generally do not want to, 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 to get too emotional on this. I try to have everything as sort of a, <laughs> a, neutral, um, a neutral experience. I, I don't want to have this to offend, but I want to enlighten. I want to share. And as I said, I welcome opposing opinions. And sometimes I say something which is going to come across a certain type of way to people. I am not perfect. I am a person such as many of you out there are. But I want to address it real quick. Actually, not even real quick. I'm going to address it in detail. I said something regarding deadbeats, regarding absent fathers. And someone took offense because of the fact that I referred to my very own as a, as a deadbeat as an absent father. So I want to try and, and explain myself in a way, put it into context, so everyone can actually understand what I'm referring to and which position I'm coming from. Because I didn't just set out to offend, I didn't just set out to, to be this person who just wants to attack. Nah, that is not the intentions of this podcast and that is not the intentions of this host. I was born many years ago, in the early 90s. And my mother passed away. No? So every time I'm referring to my mother, I'm actually referring to my adoptive mother, which is my grandmother, the woman who raised me, that is my mother. Biologically speaking, the person that I'm referring to when I'm saying my mother passed away is the woman that gave birth to me. She passed away also in the early 90s. So essentially, I grew up an orphan. Okay, it has its own challenges of which I'm not going to be coming into today. I want to specifically speak about the experience that I have had so you can understand from which perspective I'm coming from, so you can understand the reason why I can use a term such as deadbeat and absent father attached to somebody who's pretty much still alive. So my family never deceived me. My family raised me up with love. They didn't give an opportunity for me to go out seeking and wondering what is actually going on. I didn't see the absence of a father in my life. Obviously, I would grow to realize that the presence uh, or the necessity of having one as I'm growing up, as I'm, um, well, seeing life from a, from a matured perspective. But what I can I tell you is I didn't grow up believing that I'm lacking anything, which is why I didn't go out asking about the presence of a father, which is why I didn't ask about my very own father for that matter. So my assumption to that was, he's dead. <laughs> so I, I grew up believing that I am orphaned. And I was, I was okay with that. That was the kind of life that I was brought into, and that is what God had allotted to me. 
And I was okay with that. I was at peace, ne? <laughs> so I didn't go out saying, hey, no, kumbule kaya this, kumbule kaya that. That wasn't me. I was at peace, ne? So nobody had informed me to say that, look, uh, this is the situation with your father. This is what's happening. This is where he is. This is who he is. Nothing of the sort. I never made inquiries. Even though it was more of the fact that most of my peers, when I was growing up, they had the same kind of situation. Most of my friends were single, single parents. And those that were, were not raised by single parents, they were living with their grandparents, where the parents were actually coming or working far from home, and then they were left them with their mothers and so forth. So the experience that I had growing up, it wasn't that this is something which is so odd. It will only come across when people start referring about my father's going to buy me this, my mother's going to buy me that. And you'll see that, okay, Shab, there's a bit of a, of a difference between myself and them. But when generally it came to the experience of being raised properly, I, I, didn't, I didn't lack for anything because I had the most important thing of which that was love. And I'm, and I'm so grateful for it. I will, I will forever be grateful for what I was um, given growing up. So, now, this is where it changes. Obviously, when I'm starting to grow up, I'm seeing that there's certain discussions that I'm unable to have with my mother. I looked for my brothers for advice, and the person who was there for me is Mr. Tony Try himself, Gabelo Anthony Maleka. May his soul rest in peace. He practically raised me as a father. I, I, I refer to him as my brother because my situation is a bit different. So people who would be my uncles, I refer to them as my brothers, as I'm referring to my grandmother as my mother. My family dynamics are a bit different. Ne? So yeah, um, bear with me. Okay, so he raised me and he taught me what he believed a man had to be. He, he, he lived by principles that he taught me. He made me streetwise and assisted me in becoming the kind of man that I am today, of which I'm grateful. It, 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 it surely wasn't easy. It was labored uh, to him. But when I'm looking at all of the childhood photos <laughs> of where he is, I am not too far behind. The stories of saying when I was still a toddler, he would go with me, carry me, uh, to soccer matches. He literally made sure wherever he was, I was. So the bond, you can imagine, was so strong um, into what it is today. The bond was so amazing. It was strong, man. I, I literally, I saw no, no need. I, I felt like I'm, I'm missing nothing. And things started changing. And in 2014, unfortunately, we... We laid him to rest, and my life changed. And since then, I, 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 I was using a lot of things as coping mechanisms. Unfortunately, most of the coping mechanisms that I was using didn't work. Um, at the time, I was very spiritual, religious, and I had brethren, of which I believed in. I was a message believer, as they identified us as. Uh, Google the term, please. <laughs> I was a message believer, guys. I had believed that I had received a prophet of our age. It is not a cult. It is not a cult. 
um, <coughs> the fellowship as it came through. Then the brethren had said, look, we're going to um, rope you in as one of us. Please rest assured that whatever you need for support, we will be there with you. And then I started realizing that, hey, people will desert you, nah? I remember when the news broke, I was at work. Well, not really when the news broke, but when I was told of my brother's passing. He had been sick for quite some time. Then they called me on a Sunday. They said, hey, your brother's passed away. Um, I remember, even to this day, I still have anxiety attacks when I get calls. I, I generally don't like receiving a lot of missed calls. I don't like receiving calls in succession because automatically I have that feeling returning. It feels like they're about to deliver bad news. So I, I really, really am very anxious when it comes to receiving calls. I would rather a person text me first, alerting me of their intentions to call, and so I can be at ease. I don't want to be bombarded with calls under any circumstances since that event. So I remember my brother called me. My other brother, I have two. He called me frantic. And he started asking me funny questions. He said, yeah, where are you? Mind you, this is in the morning. I'm, I'm preparing for work. He says, where are you? Are you in Foy's? Where are you? And I say to him, I don't live in Foy's. Why would you ask me that? He was distraught. And from, from his reactions, I could just gather, you know what? Something tragic has happened. He just couldn't stomach uh, to, to break the news to me because he had thought that I would take it so badly. I, I wouldn't be able to cope. Um, of which for me it was more of a long-term thing. It didn't happen there immediately. So my mother then calls me and says, Hey, um, God's will has gone through. Your, father, your brother's no more. Hey, I, I remember just shutting down for that moment. Obviously you can't say thank you for telling me. It's not the kind of thing you say thank you to. I, 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 I broke down in a moment. Because nothing made sense. I pleaded with God to say, if there's a testimony for me to get, if there's a testimony for me to give, this is one testimony I'm asking you that I shouldn't have as part of my discography, if I can call it that. I didn't want to be the person who has to say, hey, I once had a brother. I wasn't ready for that. I didn't want to be able to, to, to speak of a testimony of loss and grief. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. It was so painful. And little did I know that my pain would start, would start to manifest itself as time progresses. I wasn't the person who experienced the, the, the grief um, instantaneously. Mine was yet to come and manifest itself as time would go by. It wasn't an easy feeling. It, 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 it really cut deep into who I am. So I, 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 I prepared because I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> this is actually going to be speaking about something that a doctor said to me about. He, he literally said to me, I'm very poor. I hope, let, let me set a footnote here. I, I hope to come back to this statement as to how did we get to a doctor saying to me, I am very poor. Hey, all right. I was broken. But I yet I prepared work uh, yeah I, I work I work weekends some of you are shocked <laughs> no guys I do I do have a full-time job the podcast isn't all I do yet I hope it is though one one of these good days it will be all I do um, go to 10,000 yeah so I prepared 
and then got dressed, went straight to, to, to work. And on my way, I remember meeting this Jehovah Witness lady, and she was dishing out books. And I was so defeated. Normally, I, I enjoy having discussions with them, theological discussions with them, because I, I, just, I just enjoy that perspective of how things is question them about why their Bible has missing verses and all these things, but it's fine. That wasn't the point of the day. I remember I, I took longer to get to work than I normally did, and I had left earlier than I normally did, so I was quite early going in. So I worked and walked, went to the store, greeted everyone as per normal, and I remember speaking to the manager there and saying to, to the um, look, my brother's passed away, Gabriel's passed away, is no more. And I used him by name because he, he, he worked in the same um, we worked in the same place together and everyone knew who he was. They just didn't see him for a week or so. Because his his his, his sickness was so brief. And I left them to have their, their meeting and I and I went away back to, to my department. And I remember when I got there I shed the first tear when I saw my best friend at the time, Masinget Takubai, coming in. And as I saw him, a tear fell down. And he hugged me and he, he apologized and yeah, he shared his condolences. And I saw the rest of the people coming through to, to share their condolences. And one of them asked if I'm going to be fit for work. And I said, you know what, I am going to be fit for work. And I continued, and I worked the whole day. And I only went home the following day. All right. Yeah, that's, that's, yo, I spoke far too much than what I thought. But this is where things start getting real. I left home from Monday, obviously, to do the preparations. And the, the, the funeral was on Saturday. That whole week was the heaviest week of my entire existence. Because it felt so long. Part of me just wanted to do it and get over it. I wanted to face life. And at that stage, I was 20... Yo. I was 21. So young. But when my brother passed away, it's like I took over from where he left off. Because my responsibilities changed from then forth. I, I, I could no longer be myself. I was already a breadwinner. Um, I was supporting the entire family, but th something was different because I had no one who I can now say is going to be able to assist me. I had no one that I have hope for that they're going to be pulling the weight that I had. I had no one to share the load with. So you can imagine it wasn't easy. This is where my story changes. This happened for three years. I couldn't grieve because I ended up falling into depression and the way that I reacted to the pain was not the way I was supposed to react to the pain initially. Because I didn't know any better, I took things the way as they were coming. And I wish I didn't. Because a part of me died when we, when we buried him. A part of me just said, you know what, from now onwards I do not matter. I am going to be the sacrifice that this family needs in order for us to come out of the situation where we are. I was raised broke, but I was never poor. The mindset was never there. So, years later, 
still, I have never thought a single day in life that my father possibly could be alive. Then I was in a taxi and there was this old woman who asked about my father, asking me if I know who my father is. I was shocked because I had viewed my grandfather as my father. So when a person generally says, uh, do you know your father? I said, yeah, he's so-and-so. And then there was the first person who said to me, no, that isn't true. I was shocked, eh? What do you mean that isn't true? And she, she didn't explain herself, or she actually said it as I was alighting from the taxi at home because she saw where I lived and made the comment. But I, I, I paid no mind to it. So, years later, I'm in a taxi on my way to Brantesha. Coming from home, it's late in the afternoon, it's a Sunday. I receive a call. This person, very soft-spoken individual, uh, greet me by name. Yeah, I respond, hey, how's it? Yeah, how can I help you? And they say, uh, they give me the introduction, they're telling me who they are. Okay, uh, how can I help you? I'm in a taxi, I'm uncomfortable in taxis. So the person closes the call. This is 2017, I believe. Then the person sends me an SMS. I am so-and-so, son of so-and-so. I am your brother. Yo! The explosion. The explosion thereafter. I could not understand it. It exploded. She said to me, whoa, what's happening? Hey, <laughs> who are you? This person says, I'm so-and-so, and I am your brother. I read that SMS like four times, and I was in a taxi. I just couldn't process it. How can I have a brother? My parents died a while back. I do not understand it. What's happening here? So the person then says to me, now look, um, oh sorry, then I called the person back to say, look, what are you, what are you talking about? He says, no, I'm so-and-so, um, yeah, you and I are brothers. Uh, he's, he used the term half-brother, um, telling me that my father is actually alive. But he's alive? Where does he live? You? And he lived in Hamaskara. <laughs> Not more than 30 kilometers where I'm from. <laughs> I could not believe it. Seriously, this person was alive all throughout. He was living in such a close distance, a close proximity from, from where I was living. And I could not process it. I asked him yeah, questions more about him than about the father. Because I was interested in knowing. Then he told me that, yeah, I'm the eldest of five brothers. There were younger uh, brothers than, than me. And yeah, so that's my perspective of where I'm coming from with this uh, deadbeat absent father thing. He wasn't there, but yet he was alive. The opportunity that the person who first made um, contact with me wasn't him. It was my brother. The, the thing of saying he's a deadbeat, it came as a shocker to my brother. Because what audacity do I have to say he's a deadbeat? What could have possessed me to say 
he's an absent father because he could not process what I'm feeling. Because in his mind, he can only measure based on his experience. Unfortunately, he is unable to then process what I've experienced growing up because he wasn't there for it. He didn't see the things that I had to go through due to an absence of a father. So he took great offense in this. And he was offended to a point that he, he cut me off. What do you mean by cut you off? Now I'm saying um, my brother then cut connection, he blocked me and that was it. And I could not process it because I have said, how do you get offended with me saying that? Because this is my lived experience. It's not something that I'm accusing anyone of. This is literally what I've been made to live through as a person. I am not saying that I've heard certain people say X and X is a deadbeat. I'm saying to you, based on the experience that I've lived and the, by virtue of the fact that he is still alive, he is a deadbeat. A deadbeat is measured by his contribution to a child. A deadbeat is measured by his presence to a child's life. A deadbeat is measured by his influence and impact that he has on his life, on the life of his child. And I am that child. And I am that child. So when I'm speaking and saying to you, my father has been a deadbeat, it is not an accusation. But this is a lived experience based on the fact that he had all the avenues to make contact with me, but chose not to. And there's excuses These are family things that I'm not going to get into. But I'm saying to you, the excuse of saying that there was no announcement, of which there's evidence that there was, he just chose not to play the part. And then you can come again and then accuse me of being unfair and unreasonable and wanting to shift the blame to my family, the family that raised me, of which they never refused custody. This blows my mind entirely. But then again, I have to come back. I need to come back because I've grown to mature and understand what perspective is. Perspective isn't easy. And not everyone can understand how dangerous perspective actually is. It speaks to privilege as well. Because you receive the privilege of being raised a certain type of way. You believe that the world is as you see it based on how you've experienced it. It is so dangerous. The same reason why township generally are more um, dangerous. Why when they see crimes being committed, they are less likely to, to report them versus what the white neighborhoods would actually be. It's different because of the lived experiences that we've had. We do not trust the police. It's, it's, just, it's just the way it is. My experiences with the police officers will never be the same experiences with the police officers uh, to white people. Our relationships aren't the same. When I'm going to them, it's out, of <clears throat> it's out of desperation. And the service that they give me, it's going to be the service that they identify that I'm coming to them out of desperation. I don't have as much uh, resources as uh, the, white, the common white person probably has at their disposal. They could bring in private investigators, they can apply pressure, they are lawyering up, and all these things that galvanized or actually pushed the police officers to do their job. I'm literally intending that the police officers are going to be doing their job on goodwill. How is it that we as black people get treated the same all across the world? It blows my mind. Even in our native land, we are not taken seriously. Perspective, yo, 
perspective is so crucial. It's so important. And it goes hand in hand with privilege. Our experiences are privileged and therefore they distort us from the actual reality. Why can I say to a father which was present for certain children and then I could come in and say he's a deadbeat? How dare can I say that? Because that's my lived experience. I know no alternative to it. I can't dare say to you he's a good father because he didn't play his role. I am not in a position to say that. It honestly cannot be the case. So it's 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 oh, it's such an experience, and it, it and it blows my mind. And hey, there's no rules to the podcast, so that's why I'm deciding to post this out there. It's unfortunate that things led to where they are. It is very unfortunate indeed. But I will not withdraw. Fathers have a role to play. To each and every one of you that are out there, you need to understand something. Once you take the conscious decision of bringing life into this this world, and your part in it obviously is at conception, it doesn't end there. The child does not end being your child when the relationship stops. Your life cannot continue the same way it was before you had conceived the child. Whatever that you are eating, the child also will be hungry for. Whatever luxuries that you are enjoying, the child will be hungry for. Whatever it is that you have as a need by virtue of being human, the same is said for the child. So I am so disappointed in the fact that I would rather have people who are condoning actions of fathers absent fathers, surely based on a lived experience. The world is, yo, guys, it's so dynamic. It's, it's, it's not only on two sides. It, it's, it's, it's not always right or wrong. Sometimes it is both. And in the circumstances, it is possible for a person to be a good father to some and a horrible, horrible absent father to one. And I am that one. So my experiences cannot be disregarded. They cannot be set aside. They cannot be ravished off. And it's unfortunate that we find ourselves in positions where families are being torn apart. And the people who have to be held accountable aren't the ones who are putting effort to rectifying things. And as one who's lived in this experience, I blame only one person for one has passed on. I did not elect to be brought into this world. And the expectation was very simple. If I am to be introduced into this world, I, as a human being, deserve to be cared for. I deserve to be loved, as does any other child. If I have needs, I deserve for my needs to to be taken care of. That is why, as a father, I would rather sacrifice my certain luxuries in order to ensure that my children get better than what I ever received. Let us not undermine each other's pain 
just by virtue of the perspective that you've had. Let's make an effort in understanding how people got to where they are. Let's put in more effort in listening into people's stories. Let us not just write them off. Fathers are crucial in the society. Fathers are essential. Fathers are needed. And it, it, it defeats me. The fact that we have less and less fathers out in churches. We have less and less fathers out in leadership roles. We have more and more fathers out in Shebeens, absent fathers running away and carrying on with things that are senseless. Every time I am imagining a face of corruption, it is a male father figure to someone. It is frustrating that the heroes that we've been giving the society are criminals and corrupt people. It is frustrating that what is supposed to be a father of us is not somebody who's standing up for something correct. It's not somebody who's standing up for, for the plight of black people. It is not somebody who's standing up for the rights of black people, but it's somebody who's passively active in the society. And then we call such people our fathers. We have to do more. Because the world that we have received, that we have been given, that has been passed on to us, was not fought for rightfully. It was supposed to be carried on. The battle didn't end in 76. It most definitely didn't end in 1994. More was needed to be done so we could have a fair chance at life. That is why I always say Operation Dudula is essential. Seven people died in deep sleep. Seven people died in Limpopo. More died in Eastern Cape. But what are we hearing? The news media is recording on one. One person. I mean, I can't. This is not it. I'm going to end this episode because I'm too emotional at this moment. This is entirely speaking about fathers. I will never defend a deadbeat and absent father. Never. Here, we hold each other accountable. Whether my friend, whether my family member, we hold each other accountable. A wrong is a wrong. I'm sick of this. Fathers raising children only on the condition of being, of being with their mothers. What nonsense is that? If it didn't work out, the child is still alive. Then kill me then. Kill me. Because you don't value me enough to take care of me. Then murder me. This would have been my plea many years ago. I'm independent now. So I'm going to fight to ensure that any of my peers, none of you are like deadbeat. And you have, you are part of the mass movement. You must know. That is inexcusable. In, in so if you had been living like that, fix your ways. Your kids take priority, not you. Do the right thing. Let's fix our ways. This has been part one. We'll finish off this later. I'm signing off. <laughs>